Welcome to the Terrawatt Space Podcast. This is Aravind. In this podcast, I speak to entrepreneurs, innovators, and thought leaders in an attempt to demystify Earth observation, satellite data, and all its applications. In this episode, I'm speaking with Arjen Prelink from Satelligence. Satelligence is a startup based in the Netherlands that is building solutions to monitor deforestation, track supply chains, and carbon stocks using Earth observation data. Arjen has been a Twitter friend for a while, and I really like his pragmatic takes on the future of the industry and the outlook for Earth observation, so we talked exactly about that. In this episode, we discuss about satelligence, their journey, strategy and tech stack, challenges associated with using satellite imagery, and what I found to be a fascinating topic, the four waves of Earth observation companies. And now I bring you Arjen Freeling. Hi Arjen, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks, Aravind. Uh, thanks for inviting me and exciting to be here. Brilliant. Let's get started. The first question that I usually start with to, is to ask guests to describe their story. So the same question to you. What's your story and how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Um, well, um, actually, we just went through that uh, a bit when you, when you came in. So my story is that um, I, studied, uh, I started studying uh, tropical forestry in the in the 90s in Wageningen University and uh, and uh, and I'm basically I picked that study because I'm I'm very bad at making choices so I picked a study that was very broad it included uh, uh, erosion uh, hydrology agronomy and also nature conservation and while being at the university I discovered um, uh, this uh, this course or this department called uh, uh, remote sensing and uh, GIS mm-hmm. I did some courses there and I liked it so much that I thought, uh, okay, this is uh, very cool. And then I did my uh, my master thesis uh, subject <coughs> in remote sensing, airborne remote sensing uh, with INSAR radar of a, a tropical forest in Sumatra. Um, my, at that at the time, supervisor uh, decided to start a company called Sarvision and he asked me to join the company. So that's how I rolled into uh, the geospatial earth observation for tropical forests uh, world. Um, I also met uh, our co-director and founder uh, Niels Wielak there. Uh, we worked together for that company, Sarvision, for about five or six years. I left the company, did all kinds of stuff, moved into more and more technical positions like a programmer, developer and finally product owner. Then Niels founded Satelligence. Uh, because he wasn't satisfied with the way, uh, let's say, the, the old-style the old uh, remote sensing companies in Holland were run. Uh, he wanted to found a company with a bit more commercial vision. Uh, so he founded Satelligence. We always stayed in contact uh, with friends and he said, oh, you should come back. Then I said, no, of course not, because I was in a comfortable position at, uh, at, the, at the time. Uh, but then actually, um, uh, there were some uh, uh, really good uh, conditions and there was a really good outlook to the future. So I said, okay, let's take the gamble. And I moved to Satelligence. This was in early 2017, in February. Uh, and at that time, I started in Satelligence as, uh, let's say, the technical director. And we built up the company from, at that time, about six people to around 30 people uh, at the end of this year. So that, that's six years down the road. So that's my story. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting story. So for those who don't know, do you want to quickly give an elevator pitch for what Satellite Agents is and then we'll you know, get into the details and you know, the market and things sure, like that? Sure, sure. Yeah, so Satellite is a, um, still a relatively small company, Utrecht-based in the Netherlands, and uh, we do uh, deforestation monitoring uh, in relation to uh, soft commodity production in the, in the tropical area. So that will be... Uh, palm oil in Southeast Asia, cocoa in West Africa, and soy in, uh, in South America. Um, and we connect uh, what satellites observe on the ground. So satellites know what's going on on the ground, but they don't have an opinion about what's going on. And then we connect that information to uh, supply chain uh, data. So Western Hemisphere mainly uh, private companies can have insights in uh, where deforestation risk is in their supply chains and how it propagates uh, so they know how to engage upstream uh, mm -hmm. suppliers uh, to actually do something about uh, deforestation so our mission the mission of intelligence is uh, zero deforestation uh, not with some year attached to it just now <laughs> so zero deforestation is our mission and we believe the most effective way to do that is to uh, engage with and approach the private sector uh, companies because they have been the biggest driver of deforestation. Mm -hmm. So instead of being uh, the Dutch uncle or the policeman uh, warning them or uh, um, scrutinizing them for uh, their behavior, we said um, you shouldn't uh, fight the enemy but join the enemy. <laughs> so we think we can be much more effective uh, stopping deforestation if we help those kind of companies getting insight in what's going on in their supply chain so they can actually do something, take action to uh, eventually move towards zero deforestation. Interesting. Okay, so it's, there's a lot of focus on uh, deforestation. But before we go into the company, I want to come back to something that you mentioned you know, before we started recording about the three types or the four types of remote sensing companies. Yeah. Uh, could you explain you know, what are the three types or four types and what category you fit in? I found that to be an interesting classification. Yeah, so this is something that I, um, at, some, at some point, I, was, I think I was walking home from the office to, uh, well, to home. Um, uh, as an epiphany, I thought like with, I think this applies to any kind of new technology uh, or insights. So this, 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 these new companies, the privatization of, of technology comes in waves. And the first wave would be maybe uh, uh, the researcher or the professor who does consultancy on the site. Like his, his main job is still uh, teaching and researching in a, a university or research institute. And then on the site, he has some consultancy gig. Uh, the second wave would be what I call, uh, impolitely, the PhD department incorporated. So the PhD, PhD department hidden as a commercial company. But if you look at what they do day to day, their mindset, the way they work, uh, project based is just a copy of what PhD departments do. And if you're in the uh, earth observation sector, we all know the companies and probably we all worked for them or are still <laughs> working for them. So there will be second wave uh, companies and then I see third wave and then I would like to count intelligence as one of them. In, uh, in the Netherlands we have Vanderset as another prime uh, example. That's the, really like uh, uh, the company company with a commercial uh, mindset and a commercial mission which have actually a marketing department and budget uh, which have a sales pipeline. Uh, and representatives uh, who have account managers who think about the customer journey, so much more market-oriented, 
and the and the and the tech the the satellite part is in function of the market and not the other way around mm -hmm. so that i would describe as the third wave and the fourth wave i'm not sure yet but i we might see the first the first uh, instances of that those might be big corp uh, in-house uh, departments or teams that grow into uh, into earth observation uh, mm -hmm. well groups and because of the budgets within big corp they will like they don't start with 10 people they might start with 50 people or 100 people so that might be a fourth wave but yeah, there's no confirmation yet. That's TBD. Well, we'll see if if we go into that approach or <coughs> if we go into you know the Accenture, Capgemini kind of approach where you know they outsource that to these companies or specialized um, consultancies slash yeah large tech consulting companies who I guess are also trying to look into this sector and because that they they do that for the software world and you know I come from India and we are known for doing that. Uh, for being the software powerhouse of the world. Uh, part of me thinks that we still have a potential to be the geospatial powerhouse of the world. Uh, we'll see if that happens or if companies want to you know, do that themselves. And I think you know, we can talk about what is a better alternative for companies. Maybe, yeah, maybe then the, third, the fourth wave could be this, uh, like the, this phase where there's the insourcing, outsourcing uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, pace so it is not like outsourcing is better but then there comes a moment when it gets too expensive so you insource it and then it goes back and forth yeah exactly uh, like it happened with uh, with software indeed yes. yeah it's uh, yeah it's, it's interesting to see how it's done um, so yeah so going back to satilgence um, I wanted to ask so when you started the company or when you started working on it how did you avoid being the second category of company you mentioned because it is basically the default way of a lot of companies, you know, in the you know in the downstream part of Earth observation. This is their default. Um, you know, it's not wrong. It's just because it's the problem. Technically, it's hard. So you know, you need to take a scientific approach yeah. to things. But also, from a demand point of view, that demand is not very obvious. So you end up becoming the second. Sometimes, even though you start or you want to be the third, how did you kind of continue? you know, being so sure that you want to be in that third phase where you want to operate like that? So, uh, first and foremost, largely because both Niels and I have worked uh, in the second wave companies in, in, in sector and, and, and projects and funding for, let's say, 10 and 15 years. And we really, and this is personal, like it's not right or wrong, but we personally resented it uh, because we saw this, you, you end up in this cyclical movement of, jumping from project to project and basically you get nothing done so there's no progress there's no scaling up and we really wanted to so and this is serious if you want to make an impact in zero zero deforestation you can't go on from uh, you can't go from proof of concept here to proof of concept there you have to start doing whole countries whole continents whole regions because um, otherwise it doesn't make any sense so this was one part and the other thing if you want to get the private sector on board you should Go to their conferences you should learn their language <laughs> you should speak uh, their jargon understand how they communicate what's their day-to-day -day workflow and that just can't be done in this uh, second wave uh, more research oriented uh, 
actually self-focused if you think about it like mm -hmm. there's a, lots of self-congratulating uh, 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 conference uh, con conferences even the driver of both Niels and me is, is, is much like we really wanted to be uh, a company that has impact on the world in a positive sense and then if we want to do that we need to be economically viable because if we don't exist there's no there's no point uh, of proving the, the, the technology um, and if you want to be economically viable you need to have uh, a commercial mindset and so that's that's how we got to uh, well founding the company uh, running the way running it the way we do uh, but this is also so this is part mindset planning uh, in a large part also hope mm -hmm. <laughs> so you need you need your uh, you need your share of luck to uh, to actually uh, be on. able to to uh, yeah to pull it off yeah no it's a it is you know it's it's very <coughs> nice to see a lot of you know focus on this third wave of companies as you mentioned is that's kind of the way you at least I believe that you can have the largest impact not that you know the second wave is wrong or it's bad but like you mentioned the impact is not going to be as high as what you can have with the third wave um, which is going to help the adoption in the market because if you continue doing the second it's only going to be the ones who are the innovators the early adopters who are always going to be wanting to try out and then not wanting to do everything after yeah. the, the trying out part so it's, it's hard but then one thing that I want to ask is so you focus on this vision and this is kind of what you want to do but I'm sure there are challenges and I want to talk about the technical challenges um, but before maybe going into the challenges, kind of what does your technical stack look like today? Like what kind of data do you use? Uh, only satellites, do you also combine it with other sources of data? Maybe, uh, you know, give us an idea of the technical stack and then we talk about the challenges. Yeah, so the technical stack is also, well, so if we talk about why do we exist as a company, like why, why can we exist? Uh, the technical stack is very important uh, and not in the technical sense of the word, but in the economic sense, because 20 years ago you had to uh, pay for satellite data. Also publicly funded satellite constellations like Landsat. Uh, there was the European ERS mm -hmm. radar satellites. I still remember you paid uh, 100, uh, let's say 100 dollar per image, and then it would come in in this uh, bubble envelope on a CD, and you oh, put yeah. it in your computer. But what do you pay to? Sorry, do you pay to the the agency? No, so they had their uh, uh, like each country had their representative, and you paid oh, them, okay. and then. Yeah, so almost, an, and then, and then, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But then, if we would, if we would uh, calculate the, the, those costs in our current pricing, uh, we would go from, let's say, we do uh, our service for one euro per square kilometer, then it would be one, it would be eleven euro, so mm -hmm. an order of magnitude higher. So, the willingness to pay, but actually to be able to pay for the companies, is because these uh, programs are now. Um, publishing their data or offering their data uh, free and open source. So that's one thing. Um, and that's also why the backbone of our system uh, is based on uh, the Copernicus program, Sentinel-1 and Sentinel-2 satellites. So mm -hmm. Sentinel-1 uh, being a radar, um, now half handicapped, but I saw that Sentinel-1C is about to be launched. Yeah, that's good news. Yes. Sentinel-2, the optical satellite and the, and the Landsat uh, program. Landsat is amazing because they go back. We can go back to 1986. Mm -hmm. So one of the one of the biggest things I think is overlooked in remote sensing. So ah, okay, we can do remote sensing satellites. We can do scaling, and then everybody 
as uh, spatial scaling in their mind. We can do whole countries, whole continents, that's great. But what people forget is that you can also scale in time. So we can look back uh, like a time machine 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And this is super powerful. Not if you want to see uh, the state of your uh, of the raspberry in your back garden. You just go into the garden and have a look. But mm -hmm. like, what did this landscape look like uh, 30 years ago? Uh, how did these patterns evolve? And especially now, I'm making a bit of a shortcut to, uh, uh, to the current uh, carbon boom. So all companies in the private sector are struggling with their scope 3 emissions. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened? Scope 3 emissions being? Scope 3 emissions. So every company, uh, I think, is obliged or uh, advised to, to, to um, calculate or model their CO2 emissions. And then I always mix those up. But uh, scope 1 is, I think, uh, direct emissions. Uh, scope 2 is, uh, is the, the, the toilet paper and all the stuff, uh, your buildings. And scope 3 is the emissions in your supply chain. And then scope three is the most vague and most difficult to assess, but it's about, for most companies, about 80% of their CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. So it's the biggest, uh, biggest, the biggest uncertainty and the biggest uh, opportunity to do something. So scope three emissions are one big opaque field of opportunity and risk. And now often those kind of emissions get calculated based on uh, open data or very broad assumptions. Mm -hmm. But with satellite data, you can actually measure what's going on now, go back 20 years in time and uh, have a scientific objective basis for not assumptions, but measurements uh, mm -hmm. for those kind of emissions. And this is just, it's, it's really uh, uh, changing the way people think about scope three emissions, sometimes in a too positive, uh, or yeah, the story is much better than they thought uh, it was. Um, so scaling back in time is one of the, in my opinion, uh, too much overlooked uh -huh. uh, features or uh, attributes of, uh, of remote sensing. And, and one of the powers of, of government funded programs, right? So. Also, when they launched the Copernicus program, there's a guarantee that those satellites will be up for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the reliability part is, uh, yes. is important. Yes. Cool, so, so you use mostly, as you mentioned, the open data that's yeah. available. Is there, so that's your main focus. Do you combine that with any ground truth or other types of sensors? Um, ground truth, that I prefer the word uh, uh, field data. Yeah. Because often, often the satellite data is closer to the truth than the fieldwork data. Sure. <laughs> but that, that's a whole different discussion uh, we maybe not have to talk about today. Um, so we have, uh, for example, for our carbon modeling work, uh, we also use um, um, drone-based height data, so there might be mm -hmm. LiDAR or plane-based uh, height data. We use JEDI data, mm -hmm. uh, ISAT data for height measurements uh, to train our um, carbon models with. And then if you go to the, let's say, the supply chain risk, then obviously you need supply chain data mm -hmm. uh, and then we rely on either publicly available sources. So in the palm oil sector, there's the, the universal mill list, which is a publicly mm -hmm. uh, publicly uh, a published list of all the processing mills in palm oil. Uh, and in addition to that, we use data that we get from those companies themselves, sure. but those are uh, often shared 
not often always shared under NDA because the, it's uh -huh. considered uh, competitive sen sensitive exactly. information. Yeah. And those would be classic uh, GIS data, mm -hmm. uh, so point of polygon measurements. Also concession data, plantations, farms, uh, those are all company property. And we use those to, um, so the satellite makes landscape level uh, observations and then you use these supply chain data to aggregate it, this mm -hmm. landscape information to the supply chains. Wow, very interesting. I mean, it seems like uh, there's quite a lot of data sources involved uh, and I mentioned challenges before so let's talk about like so you have all these data sources that's great but then it's not easy right no. people, people often don't uh, value the work that gets into the processing of that data the fusing of fusion of that data because you know I've talked about with other folks on the podcast about you know the data is not interoperable so you can't just quickly combine this data with another source of data um, especially even within the same sensor type, but because you don't use commercial data, maybe you're kind of you know not suffering too much. But then there are companies that are use commercial data and open data, and you know because they are not interoperable, they suffer yeah. so much in just in terms of fusion. But I'm guessing you know if if you're looking at setting it up for a company, you know you need to look at it from a scalable point of view, right? Yes. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah, you need to actually look at it. You know what? What is the best way for you to store the data, and how, what is the best way to compute so that you don't have to spend on cloud compute costs, and all of that comes back to your margins, right? So yeah. I'm guessing these are all your challenges. But I'll let you talk about like what are the you know major can, challenges. I won't talk about that. There's a lot, but let's talk about three. And then maybe the first one uh, is something uh, often overlooked. So you store the data in the clouds, uh, probably uh, uh, compressed in some way, and then the first. Uh, solutions we used, uh, I forgot the libraries, uh, but those required, let's say, a lot of uh, reads and writes to uh, cloud-based object storage. And then this is the easy part, but what do you do if you get a field write? Uh, but but uh, the cloud says that it's okay, so you get a 200 back, but it's actually a failure, then, then the result is wrong, so somewhere goes wrong, so you do a retry, but the retry costs money at your yeah. cloud provider. <laughs> And then actually we moved to, uh, this is a bit of a, a commercial for, uh, uh, what, what are they called? I see the logo, uh, TileDB, mm -hmm. TileDB, that's fair. And then they just almost solved all our problems, uh, except like we got these peaks uh, at very irregular intervals. And then, uh, then my colleague uh, dived, which like, to give an example, it it it, it spikes your uh, uh, your cloud bill from uh, 100 euro to 1,000 euro. So, and I'm using uh, non-real numbers, but these kind of you know, then suddenly you think, oh wait a minute, I'm losing money here. So my colleague dove, dove into it and he found a bug like super low level uh, within the HTTP protocol. Uh, we contacted them, super cool guys. They immediately fixed it, and now it's fixed. So just super technical, actually nothing to do with remote sensing, mm -hmm. a problem that you won't learn in university, uh, that you will not run into in your consultancy company. Uh, you will only run into it if you scale to whole countries, continents uh, and the globe. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing uh, I wanted to are like super niche remote sensing problems. One is uh, co-registration. Mm -hmm. So image one comes in. Uh, and then in uh, at T0, then there's T1, image 2 comes in, there's two perfectly cloud-free uh, images, 
and you want and they're geo-referenced so they almost fit they almost fit on top of each other uh, but not quite so usually you have your co-referencing uh, algorithm um, where you uh, uh, make sure that the images perfectly fit all the algorithms available they, they are open source uh, and available and, and they work uh, but now there's two problems uh, problem number one most of your satellite image is covered by ocean Right, so there's only a small peak of land. So there's not many features which you can train your co-registration to. So what do you do then? The other uh, problem is clouds and shadow. So you have your cloud and shadow removal mask and actually you're ended up with a Gouda cheese of a few scattered pixels. Mm -hmm. And most of these co-registration uh, algorithms don't work well with scarce data. And, and that's also what you don't learn in university because there's always the perfect cloud-free image. Uh, so we developed uh, our own uh, approach which can handle uh, these scarce, uh, scarcely populated uh, uh, images so they can still be fitted. Because in the end you want all good data that's available, you want in your uh, composite and in your mosaic. Especially in areas which are uh, cloud prone like uh, West Africa or Indonesia. So that, that will be then a, a co-registration problem that that really is like uh, the 80-20, like you can fix most of the problems fairly quickly with fairly standard stuff and then you start hitting the boundaries with these scarce pixel uh, images, which are not a lot, but 1% of the whole world is still <laughs> a mm -hmm. lot of events. Yeah. And then finally, um, often overlooked, often overlooked, so this, this most of the satellite uh, companies and people, they look at pixel size, oh, sp unprecedented spatial resolution, 30 centimeter, uh, max our planet, one meter, uh, more detail is better insights. Mm -hmm. And they, they talk about detail about the pixel size. The, the other one is pastime, uh, daily observations, uh, weekly, uh, blah, blah, blah. The two things which are mostly not even talked about are uh, spectral and uh, radiometric uh, resolution. So spectral being which bands are available. Most, until now, most of the commercial satellites had only RGB, mm -hmm. which is basically just uh, uh, photographs from space, uh, which are fine for identifying objects and uh, doing feature detection, but not fine for most of the uh, agricultural or natural-based uh, applications. Um, so that's one thing, look at the spectral uh, resolution uh, or definition of the commercial uh, images which automatically means that they don't seamlessly integrate with your maybe already existing solution which is built on shortwave infrared of Sentinel-2 mm -hmm. right so that's one thing the other one is radiometric resolution so and this is a known thing uh, with commercial uh, satellite providers that the radiometric, especially the radiometric stability of the signal is not good enough to do, um, to do robust time series and trend series analysis and to merge the data or to compare them to other satellites which are uh, supposedly similar, uh, uh, have similar radiometric resolutions but are not. So the radiometric uh, resolution, also the spectral resolution of the satellites uh, it's very important, often overlooked, big problem, uh, especially if you start uh, combining data sets. And these things are like top-notch in the Copernicus and Landsat uh, programs. I mean, Landsat, you can go back 30 years in time. You will have some 
like uh, uh, harmonization uh, problems, but you can you can just go back in time, which is amazing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it's all three very valid points. The question that comes to my mind is: so, in order to fix these problems, you you know you work on solutions you know internally. There is a you know kind of a conflict that I see is you have two options, right? Like you can fix it in an open source approach and you know give it to the community which some of the initiatives are and you know i'm very glad that those initiatives exist and the second option is which again some companies also pursue that is they take that as their ip and that is their differentiation in the market because they worked on it for six months to solve maybe one of the problems or all the problems you mentioned um so yeah so what's your approach to us that i mean what's the approach for your company and where do you see the market as well going because the reason that i'm asking is uh, maybe I'm biased, but I feel like these differentiations are going to be short-lived because we are probably going to find a way to fix it either in an open source way or either there's a company that's going to come and abstract that out uh, and you know offer that as, as a tool that they provide. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on you know, the solution to the problems that you mentioned. Yeah, so the solution to the problems, so we are not pursuing or actively uh, applying for any uh, or committing to any IP because we first of all we strong okay let me put it another way all the problems I just described we don't want to solve them sure <laughs> right I just want someone to give me that data as is the problem is there's no such thing so we have to solve those problems sure. mm -hmm. um, and that means that we see other problems as much bigger problems, uh, big, much bigger nuts to crack to be a successful, uh, uh, commercially scalable uh, remote sensing company. Yeah. And, and just as you said, I'm not going to compete on an attribute of which the market doesn't even know it exists. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and this is something, if you go to, so second wave, uh, uh, to go back through that, uh, remote sensing companies, if you go to their website, most often you see a, satellite, a picture of a satellite, which I find very strange, and often there's attributes of the satellite promoting their product. Yeah. And I think people don't care about pixel size or radiometric resolution or geo-referencing or mm -hmm. whatever, or even AI inside. Like if, if I buy a book, I don't go to the, the, the shelf which says this was written with Microsoft Word. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. I just want a good story. And if you're a writer, you should understand that the, the reader is looking for a good story and not for the tool that you type the story with. Mm -hmm. So this is our approach to remote sensing as well, that we are there to abstract away uh, the technology. And, and, and the difficult problem should be like, what is the problem of the, uh, of the client? So in our case, that would be, what are my emission factors uh, in my supply chain for scope 3? Or uh, can I import my palm oil into the EU? So we should, and, and then maybe the answer is yes or no, or a green and red screen, and that's it. They don't care about the iceberg, mm -hmm. but yeah. we like the iceberg too much. So yeah. let's see, we organize conferences around the iceberg. We yeah. congratulate each other with the iceberg. So, yeah. So, so, so my uh, or our approach is that, uh, uh, yeah, we don't we don't believe in uh, in uh, committing or pursuing IP uh, as a competitive advantage, uh, sure. especially low in the low in the stack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, it seems like you know you're probably wishing that someone comes and solves that, and 
there are several problems that exist that kind of I put that into the boring category phase, but they are actually not boring because in my head it's it's almost like the the Shopify um, thing that needs to happen in Earth Observation where they made everything easy that you just come in and if you want to build a website you just build it and that's you you don't care yeah. how it was built did you exactly. use javascript did you use css nobody cares but it had to come to a point where you know web development allowed that to happen um you know things were standardized people agreed on you know what css code meant but in, in geospatial i don't think we are on that level yet so that's why i hope that you know we talk about that more because the focus continues to be about satellites and the type of sensor that they're launching or the resolution and that's been the biggest talk so i hope that well now is probably a good time because we have quite a few satellites out there yeah. they are bringing data down commercially but also from institutions um, yeah i hope we kind of graduate to you know solving the important problems because unless this is solved all that data is not going to be useful Indeed, indeed. So, and, 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 and to get there, what we need is on the one hand, uh, uh, understanding, of course, of uh, how remote sensing and uh, earth observation works on a technical level, but we also need different perspectives on the problem and on the tech, like in, in the JavaScript mapping world. Uh, I don't know if it's famous, but at least to me, it's known. So the first mapping library or the most popular one was open layers, mm -hmm. uh, which could do everything you wanted and more. And it was completely fully featured, um, open source, uh, huge community effort, supported all the OGC standards. And then uh, there was a guy, I think he came from, uh, his background was like uh, uh, designing or something, like design, Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Agafonking, and he, he, he created Leaflet, oh, yeah. which is this super light mapping library which only had two options for projections like uh, 4326 and 3859 uh, because he built something that only fixed his problems mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was a fresh perspective on uh, mapping which is now the default go-to uh, mapping maybe outside of uh, uh, mapbox on the uh, uh, javascript mapping libraries and it's not the fully featured uh, bloated um, still a fine project by the way uh, open layers library that's often used. So I think that's, and that's only because uh, he brought a new perspective uh, to the same problem. Mm -hmm. so, so you think the solution is then getting the outsiders inside? Because I feel like we are, like you mentioned, we attend the same conferences, we kind of meet the same people. Um, you know, we congratulate each other on things that are again confined within the yes. same bubble. So is it is it about because I have thesis that you know we need to bring a lot more the sort of software folks into the equation, maybe yes. the design folks like you mentioned, because a lot of the cloud compute issues and you know how we are storing, how we are you know taking data, moving data, they're all like for me software problems that I'm sure software engineers are faced or dealt with. So they just need to come and apply it. Of course, they need to understand a little bit of uh, the domain that we're working in and the challenges with that and the you know, nuances of it. But I feel like that's one kind of industry or people that we can bring in. Yeah. And we need to do that more, actually urgently, because yeah, if you want to solve all of that and you know, if you want to go one step higher and you, know, you, you have your mission and you know, as society, we have you know, things to do in the world and we can't wait for 
us to kind of graduate from our own bubble. It's better to just bring in other perspectives quickly. Yes, no, absolutely agree. But then I would I would nuance that to uh, so on the technical side we should bring in software people yeah, to solve the the non remote sensing problems. Um, uh, but on the product development side, we should bring in the product development people. Like sure. you, you need a product manager at your. Uh, if you if you pretend to be a SaaS or you claim to be a SaaS, where's your product manager mm -hmm. and uh, and what's his background or her background uh, and and how does your marketing uh, department support your product manager or is it just like could you just uh, uh, copy replace uh, your 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 marketing uh, people with with other marketing people or outsource your marketing team? I think it should be very tightly integrated in everything you do in the company, which is difficult enough yeah. <laughs> to be. <laughs> Uh, to build an effective uh, product or service and, and, and then you also need, so you need to bring, bring in people from outside, from outside uh, the sector who explain marketing to you mm -hmm. and then maybe the first thing you get it, the first time you get it wrong, uh, but before you didn't even know you could be wrong. Sure. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, you talked about assembling the team that brings me to the question. So, how hard is it to pull it off like this? Because I'm guessing a lot of the people who are in the second wave, who are in this project-based consultancy, you know, custom uh, solution building business, want to graduate. But there is obviously uh, a funding challenge because the market has not gotten to a point of, you know, it's obvious for an external private investor uh, to, you know, to believe in the vision of that market because if you don't have demand that is desperate that they can see or you know we are not even talking to customers enough so you know we're not even able to show some validation or metrics that you know we've talked to people and this is their problem and this is what we're trying to solve so putting together this team is it's the solution but then it's it takes a journey to get there especially from a funding point of view because at the end of the day it's a you know it's a numbers game and you need to have enough money in the bank to kind of put, yeah. put together the team absolutely but there's so the the, the nice thing about uh, about today is the internet and then a lot of first of all it starts with awareness so just read the book and, and and all these concepts are explained so that's it starts with you when you're when you start a company you're everything and then you should realize you should educate yourself as being you don't have to be the top marketer but you should know what marketers do you should know what a sales funnel is mm -hmm. and so that that's where it starts uh, the next step is uh, maybe you start um, assigning these roles or tasks within your current organization. This might be just you or maybe you and your friend who started the company, but you should at some point start doing that and then you evolve and it will, it, there's no recipe for success and there is like, okay, you get some funding there, maybe you get an intern uh, who's uh, talented in marketing. Uh, you can hire a consultant who teaches you something. So these are all very manageable costs. And that's how I would step stone towards, uh, well, bigger proof of concepts, maybe your first commercial uh, customer, uh, which has scaling potential, and then build it up from there. Talk to a lot of investors, uh, because even if you're not looking for investment, but because they will kill your pitch deck, which, which your mother thinks is great. No, don't show anything to your mother. It's not good for your business. It's good <laughs> exactly. for your ego, but it's not good for your business. Yeah. Go, to, go to the sharks, uh, show them what you have. Uh, they will rip you apart, but you will learn a lot. So you will learn because they understand how the market works, or they, they think. And this is something you don't know as a tech person. 
so it will it's actually uh, uh, it's you could see it as a, a free teaching free course just mm -hmm. pitch your <laughs> proposal to investors and they will teach you about uh, marketing in the market and then and then gradually you will uh, first you start realizing there are gaps then uh, so you identify the gaps you start filling them you will fill and then and so forth and so on and then you need luck eh? mm -hmm. so you can't control that yeah that's true but how hard was it for you in your company because you've raised external funding right yes so how, how was your funding look like and you know would you continue to raise funds or do you want to go and you know, scale up your company what is your that's like? that's an interesting question because when Niels and I founded the company we were like I mean I say we detested the second wave things but if you're uh, if you are the bastard child of a second wave uh, company you're still the child so mm -hmm. all your cultural values and uh, norms are still based on that so we we did have a lot of funding from uh, uh, donor agencies uh, like uh, uh, Dutch government European Space Agency. So this was like, let's say, the the floating um, the floating cork that uh, they carried the company in the first years. Uh, mm -hmm. But then we got our first uh, commercial clients on board, and we started growing and getting bigger. We got an external advisor who we stumbled upon, who uh, who was a partner at P PwC mm -hmm. uh, actually. Um, and we never talked about external funding, like this was Wolf of All Suits stuff for us from books mm -hmm. and movies. And then you start getting phone calls, which is very strange and flattering in a way, but also like, uh, are you sure you're talking to the right uh, person? And then you, you, and then we talked to our advisor and he said, well, actually you, you are interesting because this the sustainability is the new, you know, undiscovered. Thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, the big thing, that's where it's happening, uh, forests, uh, deforestation, carbon, that's all happening. Uh, people are looking for new growth markets, so that's why they are calling you and said, ah, okay. And then, just for fun actually, <laughs> we did an interview with just what do they do and how does due diligence work. We did a first uh, interview with investors, which didn't work out. Uh, from their side, they said, why are you looking for an investor, everything is going fine. Uh, but then another one, uh, then another one came in view, and then uh, that actually went super nice. And uh, and so, for example, one thing I learned from uh, investors is that I always thought they bring a bag of money and they, they put it in your office and you go ahead. But there's a lot more to it. So the the money and the funding is one thing, but they also bring uh, consulting and advice if you're lucky, um, and also some uh, kind of uh, trust towards the market because if if there's for example a financial institution that you see as a prospect you want them as a client how how would they know that these 20 crazy guys from Utrecht still exist in, in five years yeah but if you got a if you got an investment like an investment company behind you they at least know they did due diligence mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a kind of trust uh, seal of trust in the market and those are things I never realized um, and the, and and they like we, we told bring in the outside perspective, so they bring that. Yeah, yeah, it's important to have that outside perspective. And exactly. So there's a lot more to uh, to uh, financing and investors than uh, than I thought at first. Uh, it's very interesting, and uh, I do, and it's a bit related to like what's your ambition and how fast do you want to grow. And and you asked me like what does the future look like for us? To be honest, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So this is the question we ask ourselves. Sure. So do we ride the next carbon wave and we go for the 
let's say the hundred million dollar investment. It's not possible with so that one, or we just continue to grow organically, or uh, we don't know yet. Uh, and the geog and the geography also plays a part, isn't it? Because you know you're based in Europe; it's not the U.S. Where yeah, um, I mean, maybe it's the difference is not so stark considering this market where this is a hot market around the world, but <coughs> there's still a difference in mindset, right? Like I'm sure yes. you would have raised more money if you are based in the US. Exactly. But this comes at a price. Uh, so then, then, then your investor meetings will not be about uh, what your HR policy look like or how can we improve your impact KPIs, but uh, uh, why is your gross margin uh, still not 90%? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Why, uh, why is the annual recurring revenue not going up uh, 100% uh, like we expected? Yeah. yeah. yeah I've heard those stories as well, and uh, it's, it's a different game. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, one of the questions that I ask is, uh, um, you know, what, is you, what do you want the company to be known for or known as in five years' time? But it seems like you're probably going to say... <laughs> Zero deforestation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we want to be known... We want to be known like we know you have an Apple computer, but uh, uh, like the, the, the other PC, they usually have this sticker with Intel inside. Mm -hmm. So one of our visions is that we want to have intelligence inside. So mm -hmm. people know, ah, it's intelligence data. Sure. Like a, it's a, a seal of approval or a seal of trust. And then it's in your carbon verification framework, this intelligence data inside, or maybe your scope three emissions were measured by us, or your, your mm -hmm. supply chain is uh, verified deforestation free yeah. by intelligence inside. So that, that's Got our it. bigger vision. So more, more like, yeah, it's like certified by set conditions, like your, yeah. the, the, the reporting that you're doing is, you know, certified by your company. Makes sense. And one question that uh, I wanted to ask uh, before that I didn't manage to was, how do you decide where to stop in your product development? Because you can go all the way and become, there are quite a few of these reporting companies that have come up in the market recently, sustainability reporting, ESG reporting, yeah. you know, they, they go all the way and they say, one click, get the report. And it's kind yeah. of a similar strategy they're pursuing. I don't think a lot of them are using satellite data yet. So do you want to power those companies or do you want to become those companies? That, that's, that's another interesting question. So, uh, so if you look at, for example, ESG, do you want to beat them all? No, for, certainly not. Especially not the S and the G. Course, yeah. So we partner with companies who do that. Then look at the E, it's still super broad. Mm -hmm. And then our vision is we can be the E, but we boil it down first with pick one. I think the economist ran an article recently said, let's just say the E or let's say ESG is carbon or emissions. Yeah. Just focus on emissions. And then that, that works very well for us because emissions, you could say deforestation and carbon modeling, that is emissions. So we focus on that first, uh, but we certainly envision a broader view of the E and how broad will we tackle that? Like, will we also control or advise around uh, the water cycle, like soil moisture, evapotranspiration, uh, precipitation? I don't know. Um, because if we want to do that, probably the most efficient way, be, uh, way would be through M&A, through mm -hmm. merger and acquisition. Yeah. No idea. People should want that. Mm -hmm. It could also be that there's like the big consultancy companies like uh, Boston Consultancy Group. They bought Quantis, yep. which is a modeling agency. Mm -hmm. They will, at some point, they will 
they will know that, okay, all these fancy models uh, crap in, crap out. So if I also control uh, the data going into those models, so even deeper vertical integration, so there will be a point where the consultancy companies will also start uh, hunting for companies that are data or insight producers for those kind of uh, modeling companies. Mm -hmm. So it could be that these, this broader E is delivered by BCG, yeah. and to do that, they yeah. buy companies like us. Yeah, or they need to still partner and use products Some, yeah. or show products that are certified by you. Right? Indeed, yeah. or, or, or we white label our product and we put it in... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so all, all options open. All options open. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. That's that's a you know that's a important kind of strategy as well going forward because it is a rapidly changing market and honestly I don't think anybody has cracked it because a they don't know that you know they have satellites and you can use that uh, to kind of help with the reporting and they are starting to understand yeah. that this is happening so there's a lot of convergence happening so yeah the next few years are going to be great a uh, few rapid questions before we end i think we already spoke for 45 minutes it went uh, pretty quickly i think um i wanted to ask well two questions one is what is your most controversial opinion in earth observation my my most controversial opinion in earth observation yeah that people I already said it, uh, the market is not interested in Earth observation. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's controversial, but uh, yeah. Well, it, it, it makes sense because a lot of people are focusing on, you know, the this, Earth observation. So our lead times are, are uh, typically, lead times are crazy, right? It's like 18 months, 24 months, 12 months. It's, it's, and, and that's because on the one hand, there's this uh, romantic connotation to uh, remote sensing. Oh, satellite space, come in, have a seat, uh, have a cup of coffee. That's it. like, why would you invite a six person company to your to Cargill or uh, uh, the big corp financial institution so you're sitting there at the table because it's it's such a sexy topic yeah. right and then you both find out find out that you're you know you're interested and you want to dance together but the music they play is not the music you know the dances they dance is not the dance you yeah. know so you have to learn the music you have to learn the dance yeah. you, you have to learn the whole culture and that takes a long time and this is because people they say they are interested in satellites but they are interested in satellites in a, in a star wars kind of uh, uh, way not yeah. not because in principle they don't care they just want to move their company forward yeah yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I usually say that, you know, for getting the first call, it's good to have satellites and yes. pictures in the, you know, in the presentation. And then, entry and then, yeah, yeah, and, and then, then never talk about it again. And then never talk about it again. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, no, I think I, I kind of take that answer as a controversial answer because, you know, it's not, uh, nobody cares about observation. I, I kind of like that. Um, last question, uh, maybe not the last, let's not end on a pessimistic note, but what worries you about the state of the industry today and... What can we do to improve if there is any? State of the industry has never been better, uh, in my opinion. Like if I, if I look back 20 years ago, so technically we were doing, let's say, the same things. Mm -hmm. The algorithms have not drastically changed. Uh, the data is still uh, the data, but there's this uh, data is now freely available, enabling us uh, to offer a commercially viable product. There is a willingness to pay within the private sector, which has been uh, also caused by this cultural change of, let's say, the last generation towards much more awareness around sustainability. So people are willing to pay for sustainable stuff or actually the other way around, not willing to pay for uh, world destroying products. 
so that has been there. And then there's the, uh, the cloud computing environment. So I, as a company, don't have to invest $1 million in hardware to be able to produce something that I might never have to produce. Mm -hmm. Right now, I can just hire as I need. Uh, so those three factors were uh, well, uh, elemental conditions uh, for the sector to be where we are. Um, and now if you look at the sector, like I think it's right when you say nobody, nobody fixed or solved the SaaS problem yet, mm -hmm. um, but we have never been closer. Sure, okay. At least, at least I can see there's a bridgeable gap now. Okay, so and still, the, maybe we we are five five years uh, until that point, maybe ten years. But like twenty years ago, it's just it just you there was only the consultancy option. Okay, fair enough, makes sense. And then and then the state of the of, so it has never been better. I think it can be even much better uh, because we have all this this private satellite constellation companies which have a ton, a ton of super valuable data, which they are sitting on, which reminds me of, as I said, we, we call it the data graveyard at, mm -hmm. the, at the space agencies. Yeah. And, 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 and the European um, the Copernicus program and the, and the Landsat USGS, they decided to open source it. And then you saw the explosion, the mushrooming of companies. I think that uh, the commercial satellite companies should have programs like that as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I like there should be in the commercial Earth observation space. There should be the the other Steve uh, Steve Ballmer who, who mm -hmm. is sweatily shouting developers, developers, developers. So he understands that when the, the Windows platform can only be uh, successful. Uh, if there's people, a large community in ecology of developers yeah. developing for it. So they, these satellite companies should realize that they can only be successful if there's a large ecology of companies developing products on top of it. Mm -hmm. But they won't do that if they don't have access to the, uh, the data. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, there's, you know, the history is also kind of, you know, we think that we're in a different world, but I always go back to like, what happened with the Android store and the iPhone store. Yes. The iPhone store was first to the market, but then, you know, nobody was developing apps. And then the Android store came into the equation, you know. Probably not the same example, but then from a strategy point of view, it, it yeah. makes sense. You know, yeah. you saw the explosion and then, you know, iPhone or iStore, Apple store had to develop tools or give people the ability to develop apps. And then now suddenly you yeah. have an app economy in the last uh, 15 exactly. years. It's incredible. Exactly. So the... the yeah, those, those companies should, should realize they should develop uh, their own market by first invest. Those are ridiculous amounts of money, I know. Mm -hmm. But in this case, luckily, <coughs> most of their mission is paid by uh, our friends in the, in the DOD. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they're pretty comfortable. I might be wrong, but I, I would find it uh, if one of those companies would say, okay, we just offer uh, our whole archive or maybe with like maybe a, a few years. delay and yeah a few years or one continent or something and uh, go ahead develop uh, something because now it's just these like kaggle like competitions or price mm -hmm. like you, you you can be startup of the year hackathon and win a hundred thousand dollars if you if you build a pest uh, and disease app for uh, for Ghana based on planet data for example yeah right. that's nice but it doesn't there's not enough failure in there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I think it's a matter of time because you know you saw that happening in like small steps. You know, there's the government of Norway funding Nikfi and yes, 
and uh, I think the Global Fishing Watch, I think they got the archives of MDA, so there's like small baby steps towards getting there, but hopefully... We need a success story. Yeah, we need a success story, and we need it very quickly. Yes. Um, Cool, sounds good. So, last question. What... um, What's what's coming up for your company in the in the next few months? Do you have any milestones? Do you want to highlight or, or do you want to talk about yeah? How do you see your company moving in the short term? Are you hiring? It's basically an opportunity for you to talk about what's coming up and you know looking at uh, the next year or so. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, maybe I can say two things. So when you're so I'm I'm on the I'm I'm the, I'm the technical uh, process guy. So I'm also looking and uh, participating in, in, in growing our company. So to me, that's very interesting progress. And sure. then as the saying goes, any process breaks by adding people to it. Mm-hmm. So any structure, any process that you design and put in place will fail and break uh, after you add people. So you're constantly in a too small or too big suit uh, as a growing company. So that's a very interesting progress. And we are now, if you know the Grimer growth, uh, curve uh, stages we now uh, like in the management or the delegation crisis I'm not sure what it's called but we're uh, onboarding sea uh, level people and they are starting at the end of this month again bringing in some familiar faces but also uh, faces from completely different domains <laughs> so it's quite exciting like it could be a total mismatch I'm sure it's not but it should be open uh, so this is something exciting. So and, and they have 15 to 20 years experience in senior C-level roles. Uh, so I, we think this is very important for the stage of our company, maturity of the company, but of the whole sector. So this is one thing organizationally that we will think will make a lot of difference for intelligence. Uh, maybe we'll that will the effects we will see maybe six months or 12 mm-hmm. months down the line. And then on the other hand, we now. So maybe two or three years ago, we really had to pull hard and work hard to get ourselves on tables and towards uh, quotes and uh, prospects and convert them to, uh, to clients. Now it's like flipping uh, the other way around. People are approaching us because of the EU uh, legislation yeah. and the uh, scope three emission calculation emission factors. So that's a whole new dynamic and way we are now closing contracts in two to three months instead of 18 months. So that's, that's happening now. Uh, it will only accelerate in the coming uh, year. Um, so that's, those are the biggest things happening. And, 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 and like, yeah, we won't, we won't solve the, the SaaS uh, uh, problem uh, next year, but uh, course, yeah. I think, yeah, we will make steps uh, towards, towards it. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, uh, it is a very you know, ambitious vision and it's a necessary vision as well um, that, that's needed. Cool. Uh, anything else that you want to add before we close, Torin? No, absolutely nothing. I, I said all I wanted <laughs> to say. Brilliant. Thanks, uh, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for being on the podcast. This was uh, this was a fun conversation. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Aravin, for having me. Hey, this is Arvind again. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Tarawat Space Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, Tarawatch on Substack. That is terrawatch.substack.com, where I attempt to decode the recent developments in space tech and its impact on Earth. Thanks again and hope to see you for the next episode.